Well, hey, welcome to week number two of our message, Joy Theory. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, we talked about how in 2010, uh, fitness instructor Ellen Latham, she she transformed her Pilates studio and started this new workout routine. And it was designed to combine endurance, strength, and power into participants' lives. Uh, You know it today as Orange Theory fitness. The the goal was to create a 60-minute workout that would sustain calorie-burning state for up to 36 hours post-workout. Well, as we come to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 26, Paul is giving us a list of joy theory workout routines. And this joy theory workout routines, as we massage these, as we implore these, as we we adopt these principles and apply them to our life, it's going to lead to a life of joy much longer than 36 hours after uh, this one-hour service. So throughout this, this set of scripture in Philippians 1 at 19 through 26, Paul is giving us a joy theory workout that we can massage into our life that will sustain us much longer than 36 hours after this service, but for a lifetime as we remember, as we, we cling to and we apply these principles to our life. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, we're, we're going to be talking about six joy theory principles. We talked about two last week. We're going to be talking about four this week, but the first two were, were this, that, that joy comes when we remember that God is at work in our lives. When we remember that in the good times, God's at work, in the challenging times, God's at work, but all the time, God is working in your life, in my life, and that that results in joy. Uh, Second thing we talked about last week was that we we believe God answers prayer. It was Paul who said that it's it's through your prayers that's actually going to result in my deliverance and the priority of praying for each other. Well, the third uh, joy theory principle that we get today uh, is found here, and that's joy comes when we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Joy comes when we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Let's look at it in Philippians. Gravity is true. That's what Paul's saying. I know. You can't convince me otherwise. I've experienced this. I'm, I'm absolute, I hold this absolute conviction. I know that through your prayers, and we talked about that last week, and the help given by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Interesting word here that he says that that through the help given by the Holy Spirit, uh, that word in the Greek is only used twice in the entire New Testament. It's used here in Philippians chapter one, and it's also used in Ephesians uh, chapter four. And uh, it could literally be translated supply or or provision. In Ephesians four, it's used, uh, it's translated equip. And so Paul's saying, I know that through your prayers and the supply given to me by the Holy Spirit or the provision given to me by the Holy Spirit or the equipping given by the Holy Spirit that what's happened to me is going to turn out for good and for my deliverance. He's saying, saying God's working through your prayers and God's working through the Holy Spirit in me for good. It's, it reminds us that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have, have the spirit of Jesus Christ working in your life, helping you, providing for you, supplying the provisions you need when help is needed. It reminds us in Galatians 5, through 23, what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And Paul wrote this, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So if you have the Holy Spirit, here's what he's going to produce. He says it produces love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Listen, are you at odds with somebody today? Or are you at odds with a group of people? Listen, he has love. He supplies love through the Holy Spirit so you can love your enemies. You can love those you disagree with. The Holy Spirit provides joy in our life. Are you worked up? Maybe stressed out about some things? Check it out. The Holy Spirit brings provisions of peace into your life. Maybe you're not good with waiting. Maybe you can get get anxious while you wait for things to unfold. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to usher in a supply of patience. Do you need some kindness, some goodness, some faithfulness, some gentleness, maybe some self-control? Well, the Holy Spirit will help you in that area. He'll he'll bring provisions of that into your life. He'll bring an ample supply of what you need when you need it. Allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen you by providing what you need. Ephesians 3.16, Paul says this. This is his prayer for the church of Ephesus. He says, I pray that out of his glorious, unlimited resources. Listen, his, he has a supply and it's, it's miraculous, it's divine, it's glorious. And here's the good news, it's unlimited resources. Listen, whenever you pray and say, God, help me to love those people that are, are saying nasty things about me. He's not gonna come to you and say, hey, you know what, I, I've ran out. I gave Michael the last, last dose of love that I have. No, he has unlimited resources. He's never gonna run out. He's his glorious, unlimited resources. I pray that you'll experience. I pray that he would empower you with inner strength. And how's he going to do that? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's activity in our life is essential to the Christian life. He's the God who strengthens us. He's the God who empowers us. He's the God who equips us with everything he needs. And it's always through his Holy Spirit working in our life. Listen, I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word Christianity. I don't know what what thoughts maybe rush to the forefront of your mind, but I love this quote from A.W. Tozer, and he says this, Deity indwelling man, that I say is Christianity. And no man has experienced rightly the power of Christian belief until he has known this for himself as a living reality. Check this out. Everything else is preliminary to that. Christianity, deity indwelling man, experiencing God's divine nature, taking up residence in your life. Everything else is preliminary to that. Here's the reality. God desires to strengthen your life. God desires to produce love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, kindness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in your life. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. You say, how can I experience this? How can I experience deity indwelling flesh? How, how can I experience what, what, what A.W. Tozer just talked about? How can I experience what Paul just talked about? Well, listen, I would say this. God cannot fill what God cannot have. If you want God's Holy Spirit to fill your life, then you just come to him with all that you are and say, God, here's my life. I'm not doing it my way any longer. I've been trying that for a long time and it's just led to dead ends. It's led to frustration. But God, today I give you my life. I surrender afresh to you. And in that moment, God will fill you with his spirit. Listen, God will fill every area of your life that you give to him. You want him to fill your life with his presence? Give him your presence. Give him your life. You want him to fill your family? Give him your family. You want him to fill your finances? Give God your finances. You want want God to be active in your marriage? Well, submit to God your marriage. 
You want him to be active in your career? Give God your career. Whatever you give to God, he'll begin working in that area of your life. And, and listen, if you want him to, to strengthen your life, allow God to strengthen your life, we've got we to first give him our life. The fourth principle that, that Paul gives us in this joy theory fitness workout is that this reminder that joy comes when we determine to live courageously for Christ. Paul would write this in verse 20. He said, I, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. I'm going to live courageously for Christ so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or in death. Here's the deal. Paul, he's in a, a sticky situation. He's on trial. He doesn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die, but he's saying, regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to choose courage. I'm going to live courageously for Christ. He says this, he says, I eagerly expect, uh, this is a compound word. It, it literally means to stretch out your neck. It's kind of this imagery of like, like these athletes, these, these Olympic runners, as they come to the, the finish line, like they're stretching out their neck. They're eagerly expecting a victory. They're, they're, they're lunging ahead. They're, they're, they're anticipating the finish line. They're, they're stretching out their neck. He's Paul saying, I eagerly expect some victory in my my situation. It, it could also bring about this imagery of a young boy or maybe you as a young kid, maybe at Disneyland or at, at a parade and you're, you're trying to like Mickey Mouse is coming around the corner and you're, you can't wait. You're eagerly expecting your hero to walk out. Or maybe stormtroopers are coming around the, the corner like these cosmic heroes. They're almost here and I'm eagerly expecting. I can't wait to see them. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, I eagerly expect, like I can't wait to see what, what God's going to do. And he says, and I hope, that word hope there, we often think of, well, it's like, well, I hope, I hope I have courage. I, I hope it all works out. I hope, but who knows? That, that would be a wrong understanding of this, this word. It could literally be translated to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. Listen, a biblical definition of this Word hope is anticipating God's goodness in your life. I eagerly expect, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And, and, I'm, and I'm anticipating the goodness of God in my situation that, that I will by no means be ashamed and I'll have sufficient courage. I'll walk into no matter the situation. If, if Caesar uh, decides to execute me, I'm going to follow Jesus. If he lets me go, I'm going to walk in courage. In no way be ashamed of Jesus. Courage, here's the thing about courage. It's not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to move forward in the face of fear. Paul's not saying, I, 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 I feel emotionally strong about this. He wasn't saying, like, I have no reservations. He's saying, no, I've made up my mind. I'm going to courageously follow Christ. I'm going to set my emotions aside. and I'm going to allow my conscious decision to override it. Listen, some people choose not to live courageously for Christ out of fear of what they might lose if they did. And let's be honest, if you choose to live courageously for Christ, it will cost you. It could cost you your reputation. It could cost you a relationship. It could cost you some comforts. It could cost you a promotion. But following Jesus will cost you something. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, like anybody want to follow Jesus, he says this, you must, it's not really optional. He doesn't give a plan B. No, you must give up your own way. 
take up your cross and follow me. Which is why a lot of people, when it comes to to Christianity, they only get religion and never get Jesus because you can have religion and still live life on your own terms, but you can't have Jesus because he won't be second. He he wants people who are all in with him. He's not going to be co-pilot. He wants to sit in the driver's seat of your life. And the real unfortunate thing about that is when you miss Jesus, you miss everything. Because in Jesus, there's freedom. In Jesus, there's abundant life. In Jesus, there's forgiveness. There's healing. There's hope. There's purpose. There's joy. Religion can't offer you that. Only Jesus can. But listen, if you're going to live in fear, live in fear of what you'll miss out on if you do not live courageously for Christ. FOMO isn't all bad. I have this fear of missing out on some things. I have a fear I'm missing out on what I'm supposed to seek first. I have a healthy fear of missing out on the good works that God prepared for me. I fear missing out on the abundant life that he came to give me, on his presence in my pursuits, on my, the moments he was with me, and I didn't even know it, on being ready when he comes. I fear missing out on my time such as this, on being holy as he is holy, on co-laboring with God. I fear missing out on crowns to cast at his feet, on eternal rewards. I I fear not hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, living courageously for Christ will cost you some things, but choosing not to live courageously for Christ will cost you everything that matters in life. Paul says, hey, for me, I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to live. I'm going to choose joy because I know joy comes when I determine to live courageously for Christ. You can live courageously for Christ and know you're experiencing everything, everything God has for you. Now, the fifth joy theory principle he gives us is that joy comes when we put Jesus first in our life. Joy comes when we choose to put Jesus first in our life. Listen, this is something that you and I have to continually evaluate. You're like, you're in this online church experience. You're like, isn't everybody on here like, That's why we're here. We're putting Jesus first. And I would say from personal experience, I know that sometimes the throne of my heart where only Christ should be seated gets a little crowded. And Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, hey, I've made up my mind. I've determined. I've set my course. I'm not looking to the right. I'm not looking to the left. Here's what I got. One focus for me to live is Christ. And as a result of that focus, to die only means one thing, and that is gain. In the Greek, the literal uh, translation of this, there's only four words in this verse, and that is live, Christ, die, gain. Paul makes it super clear, like if I'm going to live, I'm living for Christ. He's saying my life, it's wrapped up in Christ. I live for Christ. I talk about Christ. I'm looking for Christ. I'm listening to Christ. I'm praying to Christ. I'm teaching others about Christ. I serve Christ. I sacrifice for Christ. I'm devoted to Christ. I'm drawing others to Christ. I'm looking forward to Christ's return. My life, it's consumed. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's look at this verse in a formula uh, for you and I, uh, just to get practical. Uh, this next slide here, check this out. For me to live is, is what? What would you put in that blank? What, what would you, your calendar say is most important? Uh, what would your bank statement say is most important? What would your friends say? Here's what's most important to, 
to Tim. Here's what's most important to Michael. Here's what's most important to Amir. Here, here's what Keith really values. Here's what, here's what Janessa's life's all about. For me to live is, is what? And I would just submit, if you put anything else in the blank besides Christ, then dying isn't gain, but dying's loss. If for me to live as family, then dying's loss. If for me to live as my career, then dying's only loss. If for me to live as my hobby, as virtuous, as fun, or as noble as they may be, if for me to live as anything besides Christ, then dying is loss. Dying, if anything besides Christ is in the blank, then dying's a day of dread and losing what's most valuable to us. But Paul says this in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, and therefore to die is gain. I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of us on this, this online church experience, we, we, we would probably say this, if we were to honestly evaluate, we would say for me to live is Christ plus fill in the blank. For me to live as Christ plus career, for me to live as Christ plus family, for me to live as Christ plus prestige, for me to live as Christ plus prominence, for me to live as Christ plus pleasure, for me to live as Christ plus possessions. And if your formula is Christ plus, then the reality is that to die is both gain and loss. You say, well, wait a minute, like, I was supposed to love my family, right? Like I'm supposed to love my kids. I'm supposed to love my spouse. I'm supposed to, it's Christ plus my family, Christ plus my wife, Christ. I'm supposed to love my work and bring excellence, Christ plus my career. And I would just say if, if it's Christ plus, if Christ isn't first in your life, then we do, we love those other things to a lesser degree than what God would have for us. Listen, if I, if I love Christ more than I love my wife, Tiffany, I'll love Tiffany better. If I choose to put Christ first and, and love Jesus more than I love my kids, I'll be a better dad. If I, if, I, if I choose to love Jesus more than I love my job, I love being your pastor. But I'll be a better pastor if I put Christ first, and so will you. Paul says, I got joy because I know joy comes when I put Jesus first in my life. For me to live is Christ and to die is only gain. How about you? What would you say? What would you put in that blank? For me to live is what? And maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're just watching this because you're at a friend's house or visiting a family member. They're like, hey, we're doing church. Sit down, watch this. That's great. I'm glad you're here. But I would implore you to take, take a step today. Make that conscious decision. Say, Jesus, I'm going to go all in with you. Because when I do, I'll experience joy. I'll experience the abundant life that you have for me. Or maybe you've been following Jesus your whole life, but your whole life has always been Jesus plus. And I would just say, Consider what's on the throne of your heart. And if it's become crowded with anything besides Christ, then clear the clutter and allow Christ to sit on the throne of your heart where only he belongs. And I guarantee you'll experience joy like you never have. Why put Jesus first? Listen, I have no reservation encouraging you to put Jesus first in your life because he is everything that you'll ever need. Put Jesus first in your life because when you're weak, 
he'll be your strength. When you're lost, he'll be your guide. When you're helpless, he'll be your helper. When you're sick, he'll be your healer. When you're attacked, he'll be your shield. When you're trapped, he'll be your deliverer. When you're out of resources, Jesus will be your provider. When you're broken, he'll bind up your wounds. When you're alone, he'll be your companion. When you're criticized, he'll be your advocate. When you're afraid, he'll be your encourager. When you want to give up, Jesus will help you rise up. When you fall, he'll be your victory. When you panic, he'll be your peace. When you're overwhelmed, he'll be your anchor. When you've lost direction, he is your purpose. When you've hit a dead end, he is your fresh start. And when you die, he is the resurrection and the life. I'm just saying Jesus is everything you'll ever need. And why wouldn't you want to put Jesus first in your life? He's everything you need and so much more. Joy comes when we put Jesus first. And finally, the last joy theory principle that Paul gives us is that joy comes when we put others before ourselves. When we put others before ourselves. So Jesus first, then others, then us. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians 1, 22 through 26. He says, for your, for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that, that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ, Jesus, will overflow on account of me. He's saying, hey, I'm going to continue living for your joy, for your progress, to build your faith. He's saying it's better for me if I depart. And here's really what, what Paul's up against here. Uh, the emperor at this time is, is, is Caesar. He's, he's na- his name is Nero. And Nero wasn't real kind towards Christians. It was Emperor Nero who, who actually would, would put Christians in the gladiator coliseum for sport. And he would have wild animals attack them. He would cover, cover Christians with like animal hides and deer skin. And he'd, he'd have them like released in this coliseum uh, to try to run for their lives. And then he released like a lion. And a lion would think, well, that's a deer. I'm going to go eat the deer. And there went the Christian. It was Nero who had these elaborate gardens outside of his palace and he would put Christians in cages and he would douse them with kerosene and light them on fire and burn them to death to light his gardens. This is who Paul is about to have his case presented before. And he's saying, you know what? I realize that death is a very real possibility for me. I realize I might not make it. I'm going to choose to live courageously regardless of my circumstances. I'm going to continue to put Christ first. But you know what, I'm, I'm going to continue to put you before me. And he's saying, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to live. Not because I wouldn't rather go be with Jesus. Because if I go to be with Jesus, there's no more Roman guard that I'm chained to. There's no more beatings. There's no more imprisonments. There's no more tears. There's no more separation from people I love. I would much rather go be with Jesus and experience the reward that I've been longing for. And ultimately to see Jesus face to face and experience his presence. But he's saying, you know what? It's not all about me. I know I can still help you. And while I would rather go be with Jesus, I know I can be more fruitful in my efforts, laboring, working alongside you for your joy, for your progress. Paul's living out this principle. Jesus is first than other people. He explicitly tells us this in Philippians chapter two, verse three through five. He says this, uh, this is such a timely word for us. Do not be selfish. (laughs) Man, how many of you can use some help in that category? Like, don't be selfish. It's not all about you. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. 
Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Do not look out only for, for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. And here's, here Paul goes for the juggler. He says, you, you must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Well, did Jesus put himself first? No, he put you first. He put your needs first. He set himself aside to help you in your time of need, even to the point of death and death on a cross. Here's this joy acronym uh, that Paul gives us in this text. He says this, if you want to have joy, here's how you live it. It's Jesus, it's others, and then it's, it's you. It's me. We put Jesus first, others second, ourselves third. In closing, uh, with this message joy theory from Philippians 1, 19 through 26, I just want to make it personal. So, so let's just take out the us and the we and you put you yet there. So, so joy comes when I, Tim. Joy comes when, when you, Juan. When you, Vanessa. When you, Janessa. When you, Keith. Joy comes when, when you, when I remember God's at work in my life. God's working. He's always working in your life. Joy comes when, when, when I believe God answers prayer. Joy comes when I allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen me. Joy comes when I determine to live courageously for Christ. Joy comes when I put Jesus first in my life. And joy comes when I put others before myself. Listen, God has joy for your life. As you apply these principles to your life, you're going to experience joy unspeakable full of glory. It's a joy that the world cannot give you. And it's a joy the world cannot take from you. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you so much for your word and for living examples like the apostle Paul in the midst of extreme agony and excruciating circumstances, maintained a posture of joy by applying these principles we just talked about. So God, would you help us to, to work out these principles into our life that we might live a life of power, of strength and endurance that represents you well and results in joy for all your people watching this. God, I pray your blessing over their lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.